If you would this morning, turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 13. The Gospel according to John, John the Beloved, chapter 13, and we will begin with verse 1. She's a good lady. That is my wife, for those of you listening on the internet or whoever seems to find their way to this message that is not here. Um, John chapter 13, we're going to go from 1 to 20. Just real quick, John is the only gospel writer who writes about the foot washing. He's the only one. And interestingly, he's also the only one who doesn't verbatim record the Lord's Supper in his gospel because he's, he, remember what we said, he writes last. So it's already been written about three times. So instead, he deviates from the normal way of gospel writing and instead does his own thing, which is why he's not one of the synoptic gospels. He's not one of the similar gospels. He's very unique. And if you ever read John, you know he's very unique. He's very theological. Um, he has a lot of those I am statements, and this is a very unique passage here in 1 through 20 of uh, 13. So let's read here. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Don't you love that? That is just a beautiful. Uh, Beautiful way of putting that. He loved them to the end. During supper, which this is alluding to the Lord's Supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet, and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater 
than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. Quote, he who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. End quote. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Let us pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. Bless now this reading of Your Word, the preaching and our response to it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Before you get uncomfortable, because when we read this passage, people always think to themselves, oh no, where's the basin of water? He's about to wash my feet. I didn't really scrub between the toes this morning. I was in a hurry. Forgive me. (laughs) Don't worry. Don't fret. I'm not going to wash your feet today. Although, it has been proposed by many because of the way and the position and what Jesus says here uh, in John that many have tried to make this an actual sacrament. A means of grace. (laughs) Which I don't doubt that it is. Um, Although it doesn't stand where the other two sacraments stand. But it still is a way to serve. What a beautiful picture this is. Do you see Jesus's, let me use this word just to be fun, pedagogicalness for you teachers? You see his pedagogy here? His teaching ability? He's purposely doing something to teach them. He's instituting something that will remain in their heads and our hearts and heads even to 2012. Now just think about that for just a moment. You know, he died somewhere around 30 A.D. That's almost 2,000 years. And yet we still talk about this foot washing. I want to talk today a little bit about servanthood. (laughs) It's something that we don't like to really hear about. I don't like to think of myself as a servant. I'm an American. We don't serve anyone. We're... You know, the land of the free. I, you know, I'm, I'm listening to this song, the, the British, you know, national anthem, and I'm, I'm singing our version, you know. I don't know if you guys have seen that yet, but I'm singing our version, land of the free. Not save the queen, but home of the brave, you know. Um, and, and, and so I'm thinking here when I get to servanthood and Jesus talking about being a servant, I'm thinking, ah, that's too close to slavery. And it's interesting. Paul does use the term slave. I am a slave of Christ. In Romans 6, Paul says very clearly, you will either serve sin or God. You will be a slave of either Satan or the Father. What a contrast. And Jesus in John gets very uncomfortable for me. Because I don't like to call people this. And I would never dare call them that to their face for sure. But He does. And He says this, You lie because you do what your Father does. And your Father 
is Satan. I, you know, I don't know if you ever called someone the spawn of Satan or uh, a child of the devil, but saying it and hearing it from the mouth of God Himself, I would imagine that would be very sobering. You see, we've tricked ourselves, I'm afraid. We've patted ourselves on the back. We've said we've done a good job because we like God. Because we think the idea of Jesus is great. I was reminded again this morning, sorry Bobby, I'm going to have to use you here, of the kids at our church. The kids love Bob. He is a superstar. Why do they love Bob? Why not love the ones who slave over them and go to work for them and clean up their dirty messes in their pants and pee in the garbage can? Why do they not love us like they love Bob? Because Bob hands them gum, something we don't give them. He allows them to swallow it and we'll give them another piece. Now, Bob is a superstar and, and, and you know it hit me this morning when Reagan, the first thing she said was, where's the gum, Bob? And, and, and I love how, uh, again, pedagogical, uh, April was with Reagan in her teaching her is she says, Reagan, you need to first say, hey, Bobby, before you get to what you want from Bobby. And it was like the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, you know, Marshall, you treat me like that. You come to me and you don't even greet me. It's why in the morning at our 8.30 prayer here on Sundays, we always start with adoration. Before we ever start asking God for something, we want to say, Lord, You are faithful. You are high and lifted up. You are good. You always come through on Your promises. Instead of just bursting into what we want from God. You see, we like the idea of God because we like all power. We're thinking we're tapping into some type of casino resource where we just put in enough good works and we hit the lever and good things flow back. A servant doesn't have that leisure. Have you ever thought of yourself as the servant of God? Because, quite frankly, that's not the way I normally picture myself. We jump ahead to son, daughter, that good kind of stuff that makes us feel fuzzy inside. Not a slave of God. That begins to get troublesome, doesn't it? I can see it on your faces like it was for me. Look, Jesus is the one who got us into this debacle. Let's blame Him for a second. He's the greatest of all servants. Just think with me real quick. He could have... I mean, God forbid that if I was God and came in the flesh... Man, this world would be totally different. You know, I'd be rolling in like an armored vehicle because I think those are awesome. I would have an entourage. I'd have AR, you know, all kind of submachine. I'd be loaded down. I mean, that's the way I'd roll anywhere. Guys, I'm going to speak today, but, uh, you know, I've got all these guys sitting around like this, you know, with glasses on watching you. I mean, that's the way I would roll if I was God. But is that how God comes? No, not at all. He doesn't come in a tank. Instead, when he rides into Jerusalem, he's on the, a baby donkey. Now, donkeys aren't the most, uh, what could we say, grand animal. <laughs> you know, a horse is kind of honorable. You know, that's why they have it at the Olympics. Nobody has donkey jumping at the Olympics. <laughs> you know, no, 
Nobody wants to hear that. It's when you hear that, you just have to laugh. It's come. Those animals are. And here he is on a baby donkey riding into Jerusalem. And the point is, I don't come with pomp, pride. Instead, I come as a servant of all people. His feet were probably dragging the ground when he was riding in. That's how little that thing was. It's amazing. Think of what he tells the guy who comes to him and says, I want to follow you, Jesus. I mean, this is it. I mean, we would be, I would be hyperventilating. You know, when, when, when people come to our church and they're like, hey, we want, to, we want to get involved. Man, I'm just like, let's do it, baby. You know, I'm excited. It pumps me up. Jesus says to the guy, I don't have anywhere to lay my head tonight. You cool with that? The guy's like, oh, uh, I'll, I'll. he didn't own a home. What earthly possessions did he have? It's never talked about. He didn't have much. He didn't come to be served. He's God, folks. He's God and He did not come to be served, but what? To serve. That's out of the very mouth of Jesus. I did not come to be served, but instead to serve. He could have gone around saying, hey, I'm the Son of God. Worship me, bow down right now, and worship me. You better, re- I mean, people, you better respect me, you know? Better get by my face. They were all up in his face, and yet he didn't get it smart with them. You know, the title for Jesus used the most in the Gospels. Can you guess what it is? It's not the Son of God. That's what we call him often. It's the Son of Man. That's his own title he liked. Just think about that for a second. He liked the title Son of Man because He came to be with us. To live like us. And to live like the elite would not be most of us. To live like the super poor would not be most of us. He came, like I like to think, kind of in the middle. He's like most of us. That's the way He came. He wasn't eating the best foods that France and everywhere else, Italy had to offer him. He fasted. God forbid in America that we fast. Food wasn't his God, and yet, if you look around at the single most buildings in our area, you're going to find food. I'm just saying, it's become a God for people. They can't get enough of it or away from it. And when you're rich, like we are here in America, even lower middle class or upper middle, whatever you are, we're rich compared to the rest of the world. I mean, filthy. Our food is, I mean, so tasteful compared to everywhere else. It's unbelievable. It's ridiculous, quite frankly. And it's addicting to live like kings. We can't get enough of ourselves most of the time. And then the people who do service... We treat them as if we are king. And everything must be on our time. Everything must be our way. I don't know that that's that's the Christian response. The Christian response would be like Jesus coming to be served. To serve and not be served. I mean, what an amazing thought that God became the servant of all. He was prophesied about in Isaiah 53, which we've actually looked at before. That suffering servant, 
who bore our sins. Philippians 2 tells us that we are to have the mind of Christ. And you know what it says there in Philippians 2? What His mind is like? You want to know the mind of, of, of Christ? His mind puts other people before Himself. Thinks more highly of them than of Himself. Now what if we... I mean, we've talked about this at prayer group, but what if we went around like that? What if the next people that we... The people that serve us today when we go out to eat, what if we treated them like that? Not as just some dumb young guy that doesn't know what he's doing. But when that happens and when things do get mixed up, what if we say, you know what, I've been there before too. And I would like somebody to treat me graciously. I mean, what could we speak into somebody's life at that point? But instead, we're so concerned with ourselves, so eaten alive, no pun intended, by ourselves that we just can't stop. We can't think outside of ourself and we begin to turn inward. You know, the kingdom philosophy that Jesus, you know, because He was the greatest of all philosophers. <laughs> His kingdom philosophy says the first will be last and the last first. I don't like to hear that any more than you do. Because we're all about being first. We're all about being first in line. <laughs> Up front. Seen by people. And yet, Jesus gives away His life. I mean, how many people do you think thought the day that Jesus died, what a waste. Here's a miracle worker. Here's a great philosopher. Here's a great teacher. And yet, He's throwing His life away at 33 years old. Some of you are right there at that age. Dead. What a waste. And yet, through that waste comes a religion now that has two billion people that claim Christ as their Lord. Through that waste. See, what we think is waste, God can use greater than we ever imagined. And what we think is preserving our life. Oh, I'm, I'm just staying in the position I am because I want to be able to better give. Or I want to be able to do this. Or I want to, you know, i got to protect my family. And God says, don't hold on to the things of this life. Not even your own life. Look, this is, this is hitting me. When I look at my little boys... I want to pray, Lord, keep them close to me. Let them always be near to me and we be able to hang out like my dad and I get to do sometimes. But then I think to myself, Lord, and I prayed this other night specifically for all three of them, send them out. You know, uh, William Booth the, Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, you may have heard of that little bitty uh, project there, the Salvation Army, which is worldwide. Every night when he took his kids into bed, he would whisper in their ears, others, others. So as to focus them on other people and not their self. How many of us are trying to 
What are we trying to do with our kids? I'm asking myself that question. What are we really trying to do? Are we sending them out? Or are we trying to preserve them, which will rot them? Jesus gave away His life. His Father, that was His mission given by His Father. Give your life away. And He did for many. This is what we celebrate in communion. We still remember that one gift, that one life. What could your life be? What could your kids' lives be if you poured your life into them and for them? Your husband, your wife, what could they be? If you stopped looking at yourself and served them. What if we use that kind of language in marriage? Let me serve you for today. The greatest act of servanthood found in Mark 10 and 45. Let me just read it to you. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Service, giving your life. Think about it this way. This whole idea of serving, or being, being a servant, being a slave. People often say in Christianity, you ought to be sold out for God. You know, it's kind of a um, charismatic way of, of, of talking about the Spirit-filled life. Sold out. And, I, and I, I have to give credit where credit is due. Keith Parker actually get, helped me get this illustration. When something's sold out, it's empty. Think of a um, think of a Coke machine, right? When you go to it, you put it. Oh, you're like, oh, come on! This thing sold out. What? There's nothing in it. When you're sold out to God, you're emptied out. You've laid it all on the table. My job, my kids, my wife, my future, my dreams. You're not holding anything back, saying, yeah, I can, I can give you this hand, Lord, but I can't give you both hands in praise because I'm still holding on to this. You see, in the ancient world, they knew exactly what it meant to be a servant, to be a slave, and that was your whole life was given to your master. He owned you. You were his property which is the way they treated it in Rome. And again, Paul used that term, I am a slave of Christ. And what he says is, you're either a slave of God, who is a good master, or a slave of Satan. Your father is either the heavenly father or the father of lies. He's called the father of lies for a reason. It's been said that Christianity would change the world, even in America, if Christians, Christians, folks, just stopped lying. If that one thing was done, if we just stopped lying, he's called, Satan is called the father of lies. We don't like to think of ourselves, we reject the thought that we could be children of Satan. Jesus doesn't. He sees our heart. 
You may trick every single one of us, but He sees our heart. Don't live a lie. Don't lie. The way of the cross shows to us God's greatest gift, which was giving His servant, the servant of the Lord, as He's called in the Old Testament, the Messiah, the Christ, the one who has the Spirit. He gave Himself fully. Comically, it's been said that we ought to be more like a pig than a chicken. Because a chicken just gives us eggs. But the pig goes all in. When we get bacon, he made the sacrifice. To get bacon, you got to go all in. And we like bacon. Most people do. We got to be more like pigs. I told you it was comical. I prefaced it with that. It's supposed to be. You could have given me at least a courtesy laugh. Um, the egg is not what God is looking for. He's looking for the bacon. How about that? He's looking for full commitment, which is why we're told to pick up our cross. And the only problem is not Satan. Watch me here. It's not Satan. It's not so-and-so down the street. It's not that person at work. It's not sin. The problem is me. I think, you remember He-Man? I think I'm the master of the universe. That's what we think. That's That's what the problem with Adam and Eve was. They, when they reached out and disobeyed God, they were saying, no, I know what God says, but I think I can do as good a job as God. I'm the master of my own universe. And it's always where sin gets us. We put ourselves in the place of God. And therefore we break the very first commandment. And subsequently we end up breaking all the others. You see, where do we begin this morning? If you want to be God's servant, where do you begin? Very simply, this morning, fear the Master. (laughs) We don't even like to talk like that. I told you again, we don't like any of this. Fear. What do you mean fear? We shouldn't fear anybody. Marshall, we're Americans. Come on. And yet, what does Proverbs say? The beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord. In order to be a good servant, you have to fear your Master. We talked about it last week. Just like children who have to learn first to fear and then to love. Here's the secret. If we start out as a servant of God, one day we'll end up a friend of God. You remember what Jesus turns and tells His disciples near the end of their journey together. He says, guys, I no longer call you servants, but now friends. We try to jump ahead. It's just like when people get newly married and uh, try to start a new life or start a new family, that we always try to jump ahead to where our parents are. We buy the big screen TVs, buy the cars, and then we get ourselves in trouble. We try to jump ahead. You have to start out where everybody starts out, and that is with fear of God. We must fear Him before we can really love Him. Do you fear Him this morning? 
Do you see yourself as a servant of God? Maybe it's something you've never even considered. A slave of Jesus Christ. The good news is, He's a good master. Every time I say that, I think of, of Gollum and, and good master, good master, you know, if you've ever seen the movie. He's a good master. He's always faithful. He is for us. And it's what we celebrate as we partake of communion this morning. Our response this morning is going to be God's servant. You will be responding to His servant. And we, if we are disciples of Jesus, must have the heart of a servant. If that's not your heart, and if you're anything like me, He's still trying to twist me into that. To full submission to Him. Full submission. Are you there yet? If not, it can happen today. You can submit to God today. Stop playing games with God. He's no one to play games with. Let's pray and go into our time of communion.